Well, it's 11.15, so I'm going to get us started. Let me open us with prayer. Father God, I just thank you for um, this week at Mount Hermon and that we have had an opportunity to be with family and friends and with you, Lord. I pray that as um, I speak today that uh, they would hear what you want them to hear, um, not not anything from me, but only from you. In the strong name of Jesus, amen. <laughs> yep. Well, you know, it is a strong name. We just sung about it, right? In the name of Jesus. So for those of you who are new today, um, my name is Debbie Milhouse, and I actually run three companies in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm primarily involved with human capital solutions. So I make my vocation uh, helping people uh, identify talent for their firms, but I also help a lot of people figure out which positions to take, which way to go. There's lots of um, coaching involved with that as well, and executives. So, um, but as you know from my announcement at the front of the auditorium, I've also had some things that have happened in my life that I didn't plan on, where my life got hijacked. If you want to hear more about that, you'll have to listen to the session from yesterday. But I promised people that if they came back today, I would tell them a couple of things. I didn't finish the story completely. Where I left off was I had just made bail um, and was released, uh, as opposed to um, staying in jail. So two and a half years later, after three assistant DAs had been assigned to our case but had never actually opened the case files, uh, we finally got the assistant DA to look at the case files, and once she opened up the case files and actually looked at them, uh, she dismissed the charges. So uh, a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of, God, what are you doing, and why am I here, and what is the reality here? You know, um, I was thinking about it, I've been thinking about it since I was going to talk about it a little bit today. You know, when you go through something like that, I mean, I don't know about you, when you go through something hard, uh, sometimes what we say is, well, I didn't do that, but God must be getting me for something else, right? <laughs> you know, like... I'm not perfect, so maybe I deserve this. In some way, maybe this is him refining my life a little bit differently. Um, and I, I think that that is a lie from Satan. Thank you. Because God is not about getting even with us or making it true or trued up in that way. But today, we're going to talk about moving forward. How do we understand um, the will of God? And is there an app for that? You know, do you know how many apps there are in the world? Any idea? So this year's statistics are that there are 2.1 million apps on Android and over 1.8 million on Apple. Uh, they tell us how to walk, how many steps we walk, what our blood pressure is when we walk. They tell us how much we sleep. They tell us how to find our way. You know, there's a map app for that. And I think uh, when we're trying to move forward on a decision and trying to understand the will of God, 
I think sometimes we wish that there was an app for that. <laughs> you know, wouldn't it be so much easier if I could just, you know, go to my phone, push a button and say, oh, well, you know, what's God's will? Well, the great thing is, is that, um, you know, and I think, I think the question is, is does God really still speak to people? Does he have a plan for their lives? What is his will for our lives? You know, and the answer to all of those questions is yes. Yes, he still speaks. Yes, he still has a plan. And yes, he is still willing to reveal his will in our lives. And when I'm talking to people who are looking for jobs, whether they're believers or not, oftentimes I have the opportunity to ask them that question. You, you know, you're looking for a new job and you don't know what you really want to do or you know, you're uncomfortable in the position that you're at currently and you're not sure which way to go, um, have you checked in with God? And it's easy for me to say that because I own my own company. So if they don't like that, they can go someplace else. But I do get a lot of different responses from people when I say that because oftentimes God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit are really for Sundays and Wednesday nights. We don't think that what we do for a living really involves what the Lord has to say about us. But the truth and the reality is, is that if we want to have the best in our lives... We need to check in with the person who created us because God created us to do good works. Now, I have a lot of people who come to me and they're in trend, they've gotten fired or laid off. They've been in a profession for 20 years and they think, like, I think I've, I think somebody's moved my cheese and I don't know what to do next, or I think I'm not relevant like I was when I was 20, or I've never really had to look for a job before, and you know, when I looked last time, all the ads were in the paper, and now it's online, and I apply online, and nobody ever responds to me. It's like going into the proverbial black hole, and then the voices start, you know, you're not good enough. Maybe you're not relevant. Maybe, you know, you, you only had one good work in you. <laughs> and there's nothing else. And that's all a lie. Because God created us for us to do good works. And that is a current relevant term. It's not, um, it's not a past term. That you only get one shot to do the good work. When uh, my kids were younger, one of the things I used to tell them is that when you uh, make decisions, you want to check them with the Lord, but you always want to try to make a decision that's going to keep as many doors open as possible. You know, if you go out and you rob a bank and you get um, put in prison, like, you will still have open doors. God can still use you. You can still have relevant work to do. It's just going to look a whole lot different than if you didn't do that. You know, some people think that the only way to be successful is to, to go to college. That's not true either. He creates us to do relevant work regardless of what that is. And he'll allow us to build on the work. So, for example, in my life, 
I um, started out working in lighting, and I sold lights to, um, to contractors, to people all over the place. We'd go into their house, and we would light up their lights, right? And then when that company sold, and I decided to make a move, I went into parties and party planning and worked for a company that went from, golf. I don't know, they had probably this much retail space to over a million retail feet in Southern California and did rentals, paper goods, and all of those different things. And then from there I thought, it was after I had met Brian and we decided that you know weekend work probably wasn't gonna be great or conducive for family life. Then I went to go work for a builder and started out in their customer service department then worked my way up in that organization and that organization built 400 homes a year. And then after that, we moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. Nobody wanted to hire a girl builder, because it's the South. And 25 years ago, they were like, you're a girl builder? Well, we have a secretarial job. Well, that would be great if I like to type, which I don't. I would still be on the disclosure statement, because like, that is not my thing. Um, so the woman who had me, I actually did a couple projects with Ernst & Young on their consulting side, and then the woman who had me on those projects said, well, you know, have you ever thought about doing recruiting? And I thought, well, I mean, is there any money in that? And she said, well, yeah, there is, but it's 100% commission. And I said, oh, well, I don't, I don't care if it's 100% commission, but I, you know, everybody's heard about the 100% commission jobs that pay absolutely nothing. You know, um, I don't want one of those. So I ended up going into recruiting, and after about three and a half years working with her, then I moved into a situation where um, Brian and I decided to uh, buy a company that I had worked for at that point in time. So, you know, all of those things build in your resume. So I always tell people, well, I can light up your life, I can throw you a party, I can build you a house, and I can get you a job. So, but how do you know? How do you know which place to move to next? How do you know the will of God? Well, I would love to tell you that you can always know absolutely 100% for certain this is the will of God. Uh, but it's not always that easy. Um, sometimes it's hard to discern, but for me, that journey of hearing God's voice or understanding his will is a combination of prayer and the word of God confirming it, and then hearing him um, in several other ways. I'll talk about that a little later. And then moving forward in faith, because, you know, sometimes we get stuck because we're not sure what to do. And that's not always a great place to be either. So what does the Bible say about, about that? Well, first of all, I think God wants us to understand his will because he doesn't want us to be directed by our feelings. You know, have you ever heard that song, Feelings? Whoa, 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 feelings. <laughs> Nothing more than... My feelings of love, you know, that they go up, they go down, they get depressed, they are on highs, 
They're all over the place. And God doesn't want us to be controlled by our feelings. He wants us to be controlled by faith. But what does he give us? He gives us a firm foundation so that we can stand on something firm and know how to move forward. So he wants us to live by faith. And God does still speak to us. He doesn't play hide and seek. You know, he doesn't say, up oh, these three things, and then, you know, you get the bonus prize. He wants to lead us, I believe, more than we want to be led. He wants to speak to us way more than we want to be spoken to. Remember, yesterday I told you that I find God annoying? Yeah, sometimes I just wish he would be quiet. Because I've heard him. I've heard him, I've heard him, I've heard him, and really, I didn't want to hear that because now I'm going to have to change something. You know, it was fine when I didn't know it was sin. But when I hear him and it's something that he wants me to change in my life that maybe I'm not really so excited about changing, I kind of wish he'd be quiet. So he is willing to speak, and he loves us, and he wants us to know. Wants us to know him, and he wants us to have a relationship with him. You know, Psalms 25, 14 says, The secrets of the Lord, he will, he will say, The secrets of the Lord with them who fear him. He wants to tell us his secrets. He wants us to know who he is. And in John, Jesus says, My sheep will know my voice and hear my voice. Now, I, I got to admit, that's not a compliment. You know, sheep are about the stupidest animal on the planet. In fact, if you let your dog go, he can travel thousands of miles to come back home. You know, all on his own, can continue to survive. And your cat, they're like, see ya. I'm on my own, I'm fine. But if you release a sheep into the wild, they just die. <laughs> they will drown trying to drink water. They cannot survive on their own. That's why there are really no wild sheep out there. Mm -mm. They are stupid. So it's not a compliment when he says, my sheep will hear my voice. But I do think it's comforting. Because if those stupid sheep can hear and know the voice of the Lord, uh, then we can too. So how do you know the will of God in individual matters? Well, let's look at what God says in his word in general to everybody. This is for everybody. God's will for everybody. So, you know, as I'm going through this, think a little bit. Maybe part of the reason we have trouble knowing his will is because we don't want to apply what we know in general. You know, I always tell people, when you look at the Bible, it's in black and white, right? You can read the words. So this is what God says. And we need to be obedient to his revealed truth, which is in the word of God, the black and white portions, because that guarantees guidance to us in matters that we haven't had revelation on yet. He will reveal that. So... Um, now, before we stress out about our individual plans, let's look at what his will is for everyone. First, his will is for everyone to become a believer. Everyone. Uh, 1 Timothy 2.4 says that it is his will that everyone would be saved. He doesn't want anyone to perish, 
but that all would come to repentance. Um, there are no ma magic formulas. You know, this is an app that was designed by God. It's free to everybody. And he wants you to accept Jesus and download the Holy Spirit into your life so that you have him available to you all the time, not just when you have your phone. <laughs> and that fact is the most important decision that you'll ever make. And when you're trying to find the will of God, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, which gives you direct access to God, you're never going to absolutely know the will of God because you haven't done what he said. You haven't download, downloaded the app. Uh, you know, crossroads sometimes are the way that God gets our attention. He, uh, you know, sometimes he'll sit you down. Sometimes he'll cuff you to the floor. Sometimes he will lay you out health-wise. And the only way you have to look is up. Um, and maybe you're at a crossroads and you have no idea where to go because you don't know Jesus. Well, he's hoping that you hear that today and that you accept him. Secondly, in Ephesians 5.15, he says that his will is that we be filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. It says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And people always say, oh, well, that's about wine. No, it isn't about wine. It's about being filled with something that gives you life, the Holy Spirit. And that is his will that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit. That word in that verse means a couple of things. It means being permeated. It's like salt. You know, when you rub salt into meat, it brings a different flavor forward. The Holy Spirit brings a different flavor in your life when you are controlled by him. And then another um, definition of that word is... Um, like a sail, a sail being filled with wind and pushed forward and controlled by that wind. So his will for us is that we would constantly be filled and controlled and seasoned by the Holy Spirit. You know, when we accept Jesus, that's part of that download, that we get filled with the Holy Spirit and then we can know better his will. Third, he wants us to have an attitude of gratitude. So 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you. And then finally, he says, He wants you to live a pure life. You know, you don't have to pray about this. It's black and white in the word. It says in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, It is God's will for you that you should be sanctified, um, and that you should avoid sexual immorality. So what that means is if you're single, you should abstain from sex outside of marriage. And if you're married, you should remain faithful to your spouse for your whole life. Those things are very simple. They're all in black and white. And it says in every one of those verses that if you want to know the will of God, these things should be a part of your life. And that's what God says generally to everybody. Um, but what happens if we want him to speak to us specifically? Just to us. 
Well, in James 1, 5 and 6, it says, If anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask, and God will give generously to all who ask without reproach. So he's not going to hold out on you if you're seeking wisdom. He will give you that wisdom in your life um, without fault. And then um, today I kind of wanted to focus primarily on a passage in Romans. Romans 12, 1 and 2. In fact, you probably know it. Everybody learns it. It's kind of part of, you know, one of the key passages in Romans. But it is a conditional promise. The promise says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the will of God? What is good, acceptable, and perfect? So if we want to know the will of God, what is his perfect, acceptable, and good will of God, then what this verse says is we need to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now at the beginning of that verse it says therefore and you've all heard that when you hear therefore you have to kind of go back and say well what is it there for well it's referring to the first 11 chapters of Romans where Paul lays out a systematic theology that you're sinners and that um, Jesus was sent to save you from your sins and because of all that God has done for you, that you could not do for yourself, this free gift that he gives you, therefore, you sh in light of all that, you should present yourself as a living sacrifice. You know, another version of the Bible says, take your everyday walk-around lives and present it to God as a sacrifice. You know... Offerings are not taken, they're given. And what he is asking us for is that we would give ourselves as a living sacrifice. You know, kind of living sacrifices kind of seem like a contradiction, right? Because, I mean, aren't most sacrifices dead? Um, well, yeah, they are. But this verse references a living sacrifice. You know... Dead sacrifices don't wiggle off the altars, but living ones do. So Paul is continuing to urge us to give our bodies, our total beings, to him. And we have to do it continually, kind of like what Nicole was talking about in the morning session where, you know, you're on that freedom circle and you have to continually remember to give yourself as a living sacrifice. Now, I've been a believer for over 50 years, and I would love to tell you that I had it all dialed in when I was eight. <laughs> I would love to tell you I had it all dialed in when I was 50. I would love to tell you I had it all dialed in when I was 56. I'm 56 now. Um, but that's not the truth. The truth is, 
is every time I think I know more about God and more about what his will is in my life, he asks me to go deeper. He asks me to go further. You know, it's kind of like building a wall. You know, you put down that first layer of brick, and you kind of got that dialed in, and then you have to put on another layer of brick, and you have to put on another layer of brick. And you, you build that wall up in your understanding of who God is. You know, I used to think, oh, I, I can't understand, if I can't understand God, then I can't believe in it. And then I realized, you know, I don't, I don't want a God that I can completely believe in. I want one that's big enough to rescue me from everything, not just jail, not just financial issues, not just pain and suffering, not just illness, not just the things in my life that are a disaster. I want a God that's big enough that I don't understand him. Because if I understood everything there was to know about God, he wouldn't be any bigger than me. And I mean, really? That's not appealing at all. I want someone that knows me beyond where I know myself. I want someone who wove me together. I want somebody that has a plan bigger than me. I want someone who can make sense of all the horrible things that happen in life and promises to never leave me or forsake me. I want someone who's big enough to look at all the mess that I am and say, you don't have to fix a thing. I'll take you just like you are because I have everything you need. You know, um, so that's what it means to give yourself as a living sacrifice. But then that verse says we need to renew our minds. Well, how do we renew our minds? Well, you know, did you know that most teens spend seven and a half hours on electronic media per day? <laughs> Some of us spend more on that. You know, if we work and we're working with computers, that's eight hours there, and then we go home and we do even more, right? Well, Philippians 4 says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, Whatever is excellent or whatever is praiseworthy, think on those things. You know, I have a friend of mine who was going through a horrible divorce. Uh, she had someone who abused her. It was that, you know, it was just horrible. Um, and it was a long process. Um, in North Carolina, you just can't, you know, divorce immediately. You have to go through an entire process. There's investigations and you know, actually in North Carolina, if there's sexual immorality, that other person can be sued. I mean, you know, we don't live in California. So it's a lot different there than it is here. Um, but she was depressed. She was in an uncomfortable spot. And she um, was frustrated and aggravated with the Lord. Because how, you know, she had done everything right. She went to church. She gave, she praised the Lord, you know, all the things that you think, checked all the boxes. How could this happen to her? 
You know, she had given her heart to this person, and then it had been destroyed. Well, she had a cross stitch in her house from her grandmother, and it said, uh, rejoice always. It's out of that Philippians 4 chapter, rejoice always, and in everything give thanks. And she walked by it every day as she was thinking about how horrible her life was and how horrible things went. And every time she, you know, then it started to catch her eye. And she thought, rejoice always. What are you kidding me? I've got nothing to rejoice about. But, you know, it doesn't, there's no loophole there. Rejoice only when you feel like it. Rejoice, you know, when it's a sunny day. Rejoice when it's good. And so she thought, okay, Lord, I'm going to, you know, I'll take your word for it. But I'm going to hold you accountable for your word as well. I'll rejoice always, but... You know, I don't know if I'm going to get the peace that passes all understanding out of this whole thing. But every time she walked by that verse, she decided that out loud she was going to rejoice. And so she would, she would rejoice about the fact that maybe the house was clean or, you know, that it was nice outside or that the pecans were ready to be harvested or, you know, that she had a job to go to or that her car started or that she liked her outfit or, you know, that she was having a good hair day. Whatever it was, but she rejoiced out loud. And then later on, she began to rejoice about what she knew who God was. Well, I know that you're loving. I know that you offer me hope. I know that you give me peace. I know that, you know, you forgive me. I know that you promised, um, you know, me all kinds of things and attributes and things like that. And pretty soon, her entire countenance changed. In fact, they call her Joyfully Janet um, because she decided to rejoice in the Lord. So she decided to put her mind on what is good and lovely and true. Um, she committed her mind to the Lord, and it changed her whole outlook. And then God, in that verse, it says, control our tongues. You know, James says that um, the tongue is a spark that can ignite an entire forest fire. And in California, you guys know what that looks like. They're horrific um, and very costly. And the tongue can do that as well. Words have power. Um, you know, lies. The, the, the reason I ended up in jail or um, you know, arrested was because of lies because somebody said something that wasn't true um, and put that together. Um, how many of you have had lies told about you? They're very hurtful. Or gossip. You know, even the word gossip doesn't sound very good. Does it kind of sizzles out there and, you know, is malicious. You know, maybe if we think ahead of opening our mouth, you know, they always say that if you, you know, a closed mouth cannot um, garner a foot, <laughs> and you don't have foot and mouth disease. Um, but I think sometimes if we think before we speak, and we think about that acronym, think. So is it true? T. Is it helpful? H. Is it inspiring? I. Is it necessary? N. Is it kind? You know, if we think before we talk, how much less or more would we talk? 
You know, we need to dedicate our tongue to the Lord so that we can know his will. And then we can present our hands and feet to the Lord. Proverbs 6, 16 through 18 says that there are six things that the Lord hates and seven that he detests. He hates haughty eyes or an arrogant look. He hates a lying tongue, and we've just talked about that. He hates hands that kill the innocent, hearts that plot evil, and feet that race to doing wrong. So we need to present our bodies, our hands and feet, our tongues, our minds to the Lord, which is, it says, our reasonable service, which means it is logical for us to do this. It's right for us to do these things. You know, um, I hope that after this week at Mount Hermon, what you want in your life is to present everything you know about you to everything you know about Jesus. I know that Mount Hermon hopes that we all press in to who Jesus is and who he can be in our lives. You know, we should be stronger today than we were 10 years ago. We should know him more because of what he's done in our lives. When we present ourselves as a living sacrifice, we can know the will of God. And he calls us not to be conformed to the word, to the world. To the word, yes, not the world. Well, what does conforming mean? Not being conformed to the world means that we are not going to line up with the culture of the world, which is generally hostile to God. I know in California, you feel that even more than we do in North Carolina because of some of the laws and regulations that have come into place. This world is hostile, and we need to make sure that we do not conform to it. That word conforming, well, John 2.15 says, don't love the world's ways or the world's goods. It will squeeze the love of God out of you in the message. Conform means to assume the outer appearance or masquerade. You know, don't conform or pretend to be something that you're not. Don't be conformed to the world. And you will know the good, perfect will of God. Now, how do you actually know the will of God? Well, for me, I told you that I think prayer is a super important part of understanding the will of God. I think we need to pray and ask God for the wisdom. Like he said in James, ask him and he will give it without reproach. Well, I think a lot of people do these arrow prayers I mean, do you do those? Help me, help me. <laughs> or, I want this, I want this. Or, hey, is this the right one? Or when I work with people who are looking at jobs, they'll say, well, I have two options. I have this one over here, and I have this one over here. Which one, which one does God want me to take? Well, I don't know that that's what God is asking you to do. I think that when you look at opportunities... You need to look at each one individually and say, Lord, I'm offering this one up to you. Is this the one you have for me? No? Okay. Well, is this the one that you have for me? No? So I have two that I have to say no to and I don't have anything else? Sometimes, yes. 
Yes, sometimes that, look, Satan can give you options. He will give you options. But when you want the will of God, you have to be willing to look at what God has for you in that. And you have to pray. When you pray, I think you have to shut up long enough that he can get a word in and tell you what he wants. I have um, today, in fact, I'll leave this for you up here on the piano if anybody wants it. There is a, um, a format for a sample listening prayer. And what I suggest people do when they're in a job search or in any other type of situation where they're looking for the will of God is I think it's important to know what the Bible says and then to pray scripture about that matter that you're looking for direction in. And um, several years ago when I was looking for answers and fasting and praying, I felt like God led me to this prayer on how to... Um, receive a word from him. And I, I was reading several books, and one of the books that I read mentioned this prayer. And when I got a hold of somebody up in Chicagoland who had actually written this, they shared a story with me that I thought was really awesome. So the church group had gotten together, and they had all decided that they wanted to hear the will of God, and they wanted to be able to hear God's voice more relevantly in their lives. So they got together and they were doing like a prayer meeting in their church once a week. And there was a woman who was in that prayer meeting and she thought, you know, I'm praying this prayer. I want to hear what God says. We're praying scripture, which is the will of God, right? James says that if, you, if you're in the will of God, then you'll get what you ask. So she was praying that she would know God's direction in her life. Well, on her way home... She was driving home, and she thought she heard God say, stop at the 7-Eleven. She thought, God doesn't say stop at the 7-Eleven, you know. But the closer she got to the 7-Eleven market on the freeway, the more urgent she felt that God was calling her to stop at the 7-Eleven. She thought, you know, this is completely ridiculous. But part of the prayer is, Lord, please give me the willingness to, when I hear your voice, to do what you've told me to do. She's like, well, it doesn't say in Scripture to stop at the 7-Eleven, but I really feel that God is urging me to stop at the 7-Eleven. So she thought, well, there's no harm in stopping. I'll just stop at the 7-Eleven. Well, when she got to the 7-Eleven and she pulled into the parking lot, there wasn't any other cars there except for the car for the person who was the clerk in the 7-Eleven. And she thought, well, you know, but the, the urging was to go into the 7-Eleven and buy something to drink. She thought, this is completely ridiculous. This isn't completely out of my sense of reality. Why... Why would God have me do that? But she thought, well, I promised that I would be obedient if I really felt like it was God's word in my life. So she went into the 7-Eleven, and, you know, she didn't want to make a big deal, so she kind of went around the outside, you know. The coolers are way in the back, so she grabbed her 7-Up or whatever it was. And um, then she thought, well, I don't really want to buy this. So she came back out around and was getting ready to leave the store. And the clerk stopped her 
And he said, what are you doing? And she said, well, I don't know. I just feel like um, God told me to come in here. So I'm sorry I bothered you. And he, with tears in his eyes, said, no, stop. I have a gun under here. And I was getting ready to commit suicide. And I prayed that God would send somebody to tell me the truth. And you're here. So she told him the truth, and he came to know the Lord. But if she would not have listened to the will of God, if she had not trained herself to know what his voice was, she would have never stopped. How many opportunities do we miss because we pray to know the will of God and then we refuse to obey his voice because it looks inconvenient to us? You know, I give this sample prayer to people who are looking, you know, they come into the office and they say, I don't know what I want to do when I grow up and, you know, I don't know what God wants me to do next. I say, well, you know, why don't you take this, check in with the man who created you, see what he has to say about it, and see, um, see what comes up. Well, I had a gentleman who came into my office, and he said, well, okay, I'll do it. And I said, just journal, you know, say the prayer, make sure you're in the Word so you can hear clearly what God says, because the Word is his primary medium for him to talk to you, but then journal. Just sit quietly and write down whatever he tells you for 30 days. Don't look back, but then after 30 days, kind of do it. But if you really feel like he's calling you to do something, if he's telling you to call somebody, or he's telling you to go to this meeting, or he's telling you to do this, that, or the other, just trust him and do it. Well, after about 15 days, he called me back and he said, you're never going to believe what happened. I was praying that prayer, and I was sitting there. He said, you know, I was all dressed for the day because, you know, I kind of felt like I have to, you know, if I'm going to be looking for a job, I kind of have to get up and get ready and be ready to go if God tells me to go somewhere or something like that. I said, I think that's all great. And he said, well, he told me to go to Costco. I said, Costco? And he said, yeah, and stand by where those food places are, you know, where everybody comes through and, you know, kind of, trolls for food in Costco, you know, because you can eat a good meal if you get hit it at the right time, right? <laughs> snack here, snack there, snack there. So he was standing, and he said, you know, I thought it was completely ridiculous, but I remember that story he told me about the 7-Eleven lady, and I didn't want to miss out on something, so I went and I stood in the middle of Costco right by the vendor that I thought he told me to stand by. And um, I was standing there for about 15 minutes. I was just about ready to leave. The person who had the food thing was kind of like, if you take one more, <laughs> like, you're done, bud. And he said, and then somebody that I had known, that I had worked with 15 years before, came by and said, what are you doing here? And he said, well, I, I don't know, I just just in Costco, because he didn't you know, really want to admit that he felt like God told him to stand there. And the guy said, well, what are you doing these days? And he said, well, actually, I'm looking for a new opportunity. And the guy said, really, what type of position are you looking for? And they explained it. Well, he left Costco with a job offer. I mean, 
How does that happen? That's what happens when you do what God told you to do. Sometimes you have to move into a place that's uncomfortable so that he can do something amazing for you. But he will speak because he says he will tell you. So I think you need to pray. And then the second thing that I think you need to do is I think you need to be in the word of God on a regular basis. Because his primary way of talking to us is not just talking to us. We don't have fiery bushes. You know, um, I don't think the primary way that he talks to us is through somebody else. I think the primary way he talks to us is the word of God. In fact, the only thing that he has given us so that we know what he has to say is his word. The Bible. You know, the word... It says that the word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training, so that the man of God can be complete and equipped for every good work. The Bible is precious. You know, I wonder... Um, I heard somebody else give this example, but I wonder how much different we would be if we treated our Bibles like we treat our cell phones. You know, there are over 5 billion people in the world that have cell phones. Over 66% of our kids have cell phones, and they're really essential to how we live. We can do everything. We can look up our mail. We can get apps for things. We can take pictures. We can take videos. We can post you know, we can even make calls if we're lucky. Although I will tell you, every time I'm talking to my mom about something spiritual, my phone gets hijacked. And like, I'm waiting for her to tell me this amazing thing or give me a confirmation that the direction I'm going in is truthful. And what do I get? Nothing. It's completely cut off. I won't name specifically who the carrier is, but, um, you know, I will give you a hint. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? And you know what? We still say, can you hear me now? <laughs> so, but what would happen if we carried our Bibles like we carry our cell phones? And I'm not talking about the new version app. I'm talking about carrying the Word of God. What would happen if we flipped through it daily, continually, multiple times? and read what it had to say. What would happen if we forgot it at home? Would we go back and get it? Would we, what would happen if we used it to receive messages from God? Or we used it in the case of emergency? We used it for a map or a direction when we were looking for directions. If we used it in the case of an emergency, what if it occupied our time like the time that we spend on our phones? If we gave it as gifts to our children? You know, and I'll tell you, unlike our phones, God will never drop our calls. He wants us to know his will. He gave us the ultimate app for that. He gave us the word of God. Well, what if you get into the word of God and it's just confusing? Or, 
you know, it's not as exciting as your phone or you're having trouble understanding what the will of God is. I will tell you that it doesn't matter which book of the Bible you decide to study. If you pick up the Bible and start in at chapter 1 of one of the books, I, I always suggest the New Testament first, but, I mean, Genesis is also great. I've been through that in the last 30 weeks. Like, God will talk to you regardless of where you are in his word. And he will make clear which direction he wants you to go. And then he will confirm it. You know, I had a friend of mine one time who, uh, who came into the office and he was looking for work. And he said to me, he said, you know, Debbie... I'm thinking about fasting and praying and um, doing this solitude thing. You should do that. And I thought, well, I'm not doing that until God tells me to do that. <laughs> Who would do that? Well, several weeks later, I felt like what God told me to do was to do that, to get away quietly for three days um, and give him time and space to tell me what he wanted to do next. So I went to our lake house. Our lake house at that point in time didn't have any internet. Um, so it was a place of solitude that I could go to. And so, you know, after about the first hour, I thought, well, probably should read my Bible <laughs> if I'm looking for direction from the Lord. So I did that. And I also had my journal. So I was writing in it things that I felt like he was telling me. Um, but I had never done it before. And I thought, well... You know, so I've had these three days. I think that these are the five things that God has told me. Uh, but how do I know for sure? How do I know for sure it isn't just something that I made up, right? Do you ever think, does God really want me to do that? Is that something he really has for me to do? Well, your first question to confirm that is, is it confirmed in the word? Because God will never speak contrary to his written word. So like, you know, he's not going to tell you to murder somebody. He's not going to tell you to, uh, you know, live in a way contrary that is for his word. So it will be confirmed that way. But I will tell you, I thought, well, you know, I'm just going to take God's word for it, but I'm not going to tell anybody what he told me. In fact, I came out of that three days and Brian was like, well, we were almost ready to go send somebody to look for you. You know, because we hadn't heard from you in three days. It's kind of weird. And he said, well, what did God say? And I said, well, you know, let me just kind of think about it a little bit. But I had written it in my journal. Well, then over the next three weeks, um, God did this amazing thing. It's like when he talks, he talks in stereo for me. And I get it from multiple places, the confirmations. So I had somebody in Bible study quote the actual scripture verse that I felt like God was telling me for one of those things. And then I had a unbelieving client tell me exactly the same type of thing. And then I had one other person tell me the same thing. And then I'm like, okay, three strikes, I'm out. I got it. You know, I hear you. I will move in that direction. You know, when we're teaching Bible study, I teach a Bible study um, 
in North Carolina. It's called Community Bible Study. You may be familiar with Bible Study Fellowship. It's set up on that same format. But one of the great things about that Bible study is you go through everything four times. You read the passage. You do the questions that kind of inspire God's opportunity to talk to you individually. And then you get together as a group and you discuss it with other people. Hey, this is what I thought. That's what you thought. I didn't even get that. Where did you get that? (laughs) You know, and you hear it again. And then there's a teaching at the end of the Bible study. And then you go home with a commentary. So you've got it multiple times on one passage. Well, let me tell you. God is so annoying with that because when I'm doing my individual study and he's saying, Debbie, I want you to understand this. This is my heart for you right now. There are often times when I can say, well, it's easy to blow it off in your mind, right? It's easy to rationalize things in your own head. It's easy to say, well, that doesn't dial into really where I want to be. But then you get in your discussion group and it's like, they're all talking to you, and it's exactly that same thing, and you're like, Ugh. and then you get in the teaching, and the person gives that teaching, and it's exactly the same thing. By that time, you're like, okay, I'm sorry, I'll move forward this direction. But he speaks to us in stereo. He doesn't want to remain hidden. He wants us to know the perfect will of God which is that he is going to make us new, that we will be renewed, that we will have a purpose, that there is a plan for our lives, and that he wants to use us. And absolutely none of us are too damaged to be used by the Lord. You know, this fall I was teaching Genesis, And i got to tell you, Genesis is kind of irritating because you've got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, right? On the last half of the book. And he, um, no matter how good or bad somebody is, God uses them. He uses them and blesses them. You know, he used Abraham and blessed him. Even when he was in Egypt, telling somebody else, you know, that this was his wife or, you know, it wasn't his wife. It was somebody else. He used Isaac when Isaac did the same thing and blessed him. He used Jacob. Jacob was a total mess. I mean, he was horrible. He did all kinds of horrible things. And God still used him. So today, when you're looking for your purpose, when you're looking for the perfect will of God, when you're looking for the next step in your life, whether you should make a move, whether you should um, take that job, or how are you going to move forward in this illness, or how are you going to find a path through whatever the pain is that you're going through right now, he's not done with you. He wants to make you new. He came so that you could have hope and that you have a plan and that you have a future. And so I want to thank you for coming. I hope that that gives you some hope for your future and gives you an idea of how to find his answer to your plan. Um, Before I leave, is there anybody that has any questions? Nope. Okay, well, let me pray. 
Father God, we just thank you that you speak to us through your word. We thank you um, that when we pray, you promise to teach us your will and give us wisdom. And thank you, Lord, that your wisdom is so much better than ours. Father, we pray today that, um, that we would listen to what you have to say and that we would hear your truth in our lives and that we will determine that you're God and that we're not and we're willing to be submissive to that. Father, we thank you that you love us, that you sent Jesus, and that you fill us with your Holy Spirit. In the strong name of Jesus, amen.